0: And welcome to another long-forgotten Lococast.net. I am one of your hosts, Rick Harding, and I'm here with uh, the freezing
1: his tail off Craig Maloney. How are we doing, Craig? I'm doing well. Uh, Highly recommend uh, for those of you out there that may be thinking about it. Number one, do not lock yourself out of your house (laughs) on a 27-degree Fahrenheit or lower night. Uh, Where you don't have your keys and such, and then have to make the trek over to a family member's place where you can retrieve said key. Just don't do it. I can tell you from personal experience, it ain't all it's cracked up to be. (laughs) I I could see that as, as not good. Yeah.
0: I can definitely, definitely see that as not good. So, um...
1: That's part of the pre-show prep.
0: <laughs> exactly. See now, now you woke up. You're ready. You're excited. You're ready to do a local cast because we have not been around since November.
1: And even Why that is
0: that. Uh, well, it, it's kind of crazy. Uh, even that we we only really had the interviews we did very late out of Pi Ohio or uh, sorry Ohio Linux Fest. And so, the the original reason was that I got really 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 busy. Uh, interviewing for a new job, which I ended up getting and starting, and then I got completely overwhelmed starting it. So uh, I'm going to put a lot of blame on my side because it's taken me a lot of time to get get ready to do another episode. <laughs> so how about you? What have you been up to for the
1: last, oh, I don't know, 12 weeks? Well, funny you should mention new jobs because I, all too, have started up a new job. See, That's, what do you uh, know? That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So we both have new jobs and such. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing more of a developer role, which, which is exciting. Is excellent,
0: considering that we decided to try to steer our conversation towards more developer-centric items in the podcast.
1: So Exactly. So <laughs> I've got lots of stuff to talk about developer-wise. Excellent.
0: And so, so just for the record, um, so I'm now part of Canonical, working on Launchpad. So doing web development like I always have, which I, you know, I love to do. However, I'm working on the biggest, scariest project I have ever worked on in my entire life. Um, and that's been a bit overwhelming.
1: <laughs> well, especially since you're, you know, things like launch Launchpad, can we say Launchpad? Yeah. Okay. Things like Launchpad and that don't necessarily... Uh, come into being, sprung forth, fully formed from Zeus's head like Athena? No. These things grow over time and amass. They're like the yeah. Katam- Katamari Damacy of code. They just <laughs> kind of roll over it and accumulate things as time goes by. Yeah, I know. One of the favorite lines of developers is that, um, that Launchpad
0: is a seven-year-old web app. Um, which is actually rather rare when you stop and think about how many web apps you use that are seven years old or more. I um, haven't gone through many rev- revisions as well. You were, yeah, we just, you know, completely gotten pitched and rewritten, which it, Launchpad is entirely too big to do that with. Tempting though it may be. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so we live—we live with a lot of design decisions that were made seven years ago and have been carried on ever since. And so um, everyone—it's it's funny because you kind of think like, well, I can't say anything bad about Launchpad, right? Because these guys—they live, they—they—they they, they do this for a living. They eat, sleep, and breathe it. And you want to be nice and be like, yeah, Launchpad, yeah, great, you know. But what's what's great is the team knows that the thing has warts and has issues, and uh, it's very passionate about trying to fix things. So I get to be a part of that. I'm I'm brought in to help fix and make Launchpad better. Which is uh, very exciting, and make it better. You definitely
1: will. I can tell.
0: Yeah, no. Hopefully, in the next in the next couple of weeks, we we'll actually. It's kind of funny. I've only been there two months, but I've already got several user-facing you know uh, bits of code up there. And and we're right now tonight. I'm actually working with some of the guys that are out in Australia because they're on the other side of the world to get landed some work. We did. We had a sprint in Budapest last week, so that didn't help the local cast schedule at all. But uh, we got a lot of work done and we're trying to get it landed and into Launchpad so that we can start testing it and rolling it through the QA process and the beta testers process and all that. So hopefully in, you know, less than a month or so, you know, people actually see the fruit of the labor that we did out there going hog wild in uh, in Budapest, just cranking on the code. Very cool. So anyway, so we're back. We're moving on. We've got stuff to talk about because obviously we've had a lot going on. We've. I know I've been learning a lot, and we're putting uh, we're putting Craig through the, uh, the the grinder here, picking up his developer skills. Oh and no! <laughs> you will survive. Um, but yeah, so it should be a lot of fun. So why don't we head over and start chatting? Mm-hmm. you've got something in here about One Dev Day Detroit, which was a conference we went to and I think I actually talked at.
1: Um, yeah, in fact, you did. You, you talked about something called SQL Alchemy? Is
0: no. That, uh, I thought I talked about code quality. Oh, you did. You did.
1: Sorry, sorry, sorry. Like yes, read, readable,
0: readable code stuff. Yeah. Anyway, it's been a while since that happened. So um, you've got a note here to, talk, to chat about it. What were we going to chat about it? I don't remember.
1: Well, we were going to talk about, um, first off, that it happened. It did happen but, uh, and it was cool. Yeah, it was what it is is a, uh, a conference that's put on for the local developers. It's not tied to any particular language. So it's not like, you know, a pie, Ohio, where you talk about Python. Uh, it was a broad, broad strokes uh, programming and just talking about the craft of programming and, and, being uh, engaged with development and making sure that you actually care about the stuff that you put out to, you know, put upon the screen. Yeah. And one thing that seemed to come up a lot was uh, functional programming uh, seemed to be pretty hot this year. Yeah, they, I remember we were going to talk about that,
0: and I think I went off on a little bit of a rant. And that's probably why there's a note here about this. I think... I, <laughs> I think I remember this now, right? So we did, we went to a talk on functional programming and I believe, what was it? The guy was talking about F sharp in particular, I think, which is a, right. a, like a functional rendition of, of a .NET language, right? It compiles to, to .NET CLI or whatever, but it's, uh, it's got some functional isms built in kind of like, a uh, some bits of Erlangy and, and Haskell stuff in there or whatnot. So, um, which was great except that, you know, people are kind of asking questions, uh, while the talk was, you know, covered F-sharp and the guy came from a .NET background, the idea is that functional programming is not a language, it's a, uh, a method or a process or I'm not sure what the right phrase, I guess, for it. It's a type of programming.
1: Yeah, it's a and, methodology for programming.
0: Right. And so <clears throat> people got really hung up on the language and uh, I, I kind of got, you know, I was I was kind of wanted to sh- tell everyone, like, hey, stop, stop, stop. Don't focus on the language, but focus on the ideas and the methods and the tools and the way it kind of works and how to take that into whatever language you use, right? So, you know, in Python, we have some functional bits. We have, uh, you know, list comprehensions and and the idea of, uh, some, you know, some immutable uh, data types and things. And uh, there, there's lots of ways you could write your code in a more functional way by making sure that, you know, it's... Uh, <clears throat> it doesn't change data in place or that it, uh, um, I don't know. There, there's there's lots of ways to, to, to take your code and actually do it in a functional manner um, without uh, having to go, say, pick up Erlang and,
1: and use that for all your programming.
0: Not and, that there's uh,
1: anything wrong with picking up Erlang or Haskell or one of the <clears throat> other languages that are out there.
0: No, and, and I I tinker around with both of them and uh, and, and follow a lot of stuff because they're they're like really good pure examples of functional programming that then you can try to mimic or duplicate in your own code right so like oh that's really kind of cool i wonder how i can implement that in python and i'll go back and i'll be like oh check out this cool iter tools library which allows me to do a lot of these kind of things um you know lazy evaluation kind of business you know in python hey it's sweet yeah yeah i can you know take some of the ideas and, and make my code better um a lot of the ideas with functional programming is that because you're limited on uh, how you're allowed to change things and because of the lazy loading you can actually do uh, things generally in a more performant way and with uh, uh, with better testability um, you know and less side effects kind of thing. So it's, it's a good good idea to get your head around and to play with for sure. Um, but I remember, I remember during that talk, I just I wanted to get through people's head, like, hey, don't get too hung up on the language part of it. It's it's like learning programming itself, you know. If you want to learn programming with PHP or with Python or with .NET or whatnot, you're still going to learn a lot of programming fundamentals,
1: which is what you really need to get out of it. Well, and two, you can you can take something, you know, like some of the ideas and concepts of a, of a language like Lisp. And you don't necessarily have to use Lisp in, in order to use those things. You know, it's like, okay, I want to do something that's, you know, Pythonic. Do I have to use Python for this? You don't necessarily have to do that. You can you can borrow concepts from any language. Now, on the same token, you don't want to try and write C in Python. You're going to want to shoot yourself by the end of it. Hey, what do you, but, think, what do you think Python comes from? It's called C Python for a reason. Well, yeah, but I... <laughs> Yeah, there's extensions for that, um, but I, you I mean trying to put braces in there, you'll 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 die, yeah, you'll literally die. But yeah, so one day Detroit was
0: very cool, though it was the first time I had been to it. I think uh, yourself as well, yeah. And it's it's another one of those kind of local small uh, developer conferences. What's great is that it's it's almost self-selecting. The people that are there are very passionate about what they do, and you get really good material. Really good. We had a. Didn't do a ton of talks, but uh, had a lot of hallway conversations and things that were really, really interesting, really valuable. I'm glad we went for sure. It was it was like thirty five bucks or something for the early bird. It was you know
1: right. Well, it, was,
0: it was peanuts, and it's the kind of thing that you go to and then you leave motivated. You're like you want to you, you walk out of there wanting to like write code on your way home.
1: Well, it also held too that we had folks like uh, Diane Marsh who was talking about uh, investing in yourself uh, as your your own career, your programming career but also your the the craft of programming investing in that and also if you were so inclined starting up your own business
0: yeah uh, that was a great point in there because um, i i think uh, especially in the detroitish area where we have a lot of old you know uh, union labor work kind of thing going on where it used to be You know, it used to be that you really relied on your company to provide you with continuing education, to train you in the things that you needed to learn to do to keep you up with, you know, current tech and stuff. And these days, it's just not true. You know, they're always talking about how there's not enough talented workers in the workforce for them to hire. And a big part is because they don't train the workforce anymore. They want either you to go do it or the schools to do it or whatnot. So I love Diane's talk where it really pushes people to think that, you know what, Education, continuing education, you know, improving your, your, your lot in life is is all on your shoulders, buddy. You know, suck up, take it up and, and, and you're gonna have to just, you know, move yourself forward. Um, which I think is a very important lesson for
1: today's uh, developers. Well, in the days of you know, people being the twenty year COBOL programmer, I think are long gone unless you really dig COBOL and you want to be the twenty year COBOL programmer. Yeah, those those opportunities are few and far between. Just like assembly line jobs are very few and far between. It's very difficult for people to to graduate from the the companies that they initially started with.
0: Yeah,
1: I mean, we we ourselves have been through several companies in our careers, and probably will be through several more companies through our careers. We never know. Yeah no, and and
0: languages and things. I mean, I started out in ASP, went to PHP, then to Python, and actually uh, with Launchpad so far, I you know, seventy five percent of the work I've been doing is all heavy JavaScript work. You know, so it's, I'm almost like a JavaScript front end programmer at this point. So in 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 ten years, I've gone through four different languages of of you know, I want to say mastery because I don't know if I ever really mastered. Uh, the ASP stuff more than I ran away from it once I figured it out. <laughs> Getting goodery. Yeah. Call it
1: that. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, you know, uh, yeah. And, and I'm in 10 more years. I don't even, I have no idea where, you know, people always want to ask you like, where do you see yourself in five years? And it's like, dude, I don't know. You, if you look at my last five years, I didn't see this coming.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and, and to, uh, there's also the, um, the concept of a reluctant entrepreneurship because what Diane did is she took, you know, her love of of programming and turned it into a consulting gig that ended up turning into an actual company with an office in Ann Arbor. So that was really interesting to see her evolution from, hey, I don't necessarily want to be doing payroll to, hey, I've got someone else doing my payroll and I can keep rocking. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, SRT solutions out in Ann Arbor are... Like, you know, I have a lot of respect for those guys. They give back to the community a lot. They're a huge lesson, a, a great resource um, for not just like talent, but just, uh, you know, all that kind of motivation. Good story. You know, Dan, giving the talk and everything, they put on Code Mash, which just occurred uh, this past week, which I was very sad to miss because I was in Budapest. Um, you know, so I got
1: to say, you know, mad props to SRT and their crew out there. Exactly. And also, uh, Bruce Tate was there uh, talking about the Seven Languages in Seven Weeks book that he has uh, available, and it was very interesting uh, to get a peek at some of the other languages that are out there, stuff like Clojure, Scala, a little bit of Haskell as well, I believe, was in there. Erlang was definitely in there. And his comparison with different movie characters uh, was also entertaining, if not possibly a little inaccurate but sure we'll go with it (laughs) what were your thoughts on that talk uh i i'm so so on it right because i
0: I think the talk was well done right i like his little movie analogies i think he gives a good talk um but as as someone who's tinkering in other languages and trying to get stuff done and all that it's it's just i don't like the idea i just it, it it i don't I don't know. I don't think you get enough of the gist of a language until you've solved a real problem. And well, I know like his book says, he goes through things like uh, solving Sudoku's and stuff. I just, I, I don't know. I just, I, I'm not a big fan of it. I, I, I haven't gone through the book, so I don't want to criticize too much. But it just doesn't seem like it's up my alley.
1: It seems, yeah, like the, like uh, having a phrase book to learn a language. And it's like, okay, yeah, so I can say where's the bathroom in seven languages, but, you know, if I wanted to actually write poetry in that language, mm-hmm. I couldn't necessarily do that. I think that's yeah. that's that's your complaint on it. But I do have to say that it is an interesting concept because, you know, being multilingual uh, is definitely an asset in our industry. Oh, yeah. And, and, and you know, you may find your next... Your next Python, your next uh, Ruby or whatever language. In fact, I think he does cover Ruby in there, doesn't he? Um, I don't remember. Most of yeah. them were fairly esoteric. And, and
0: a lot of them he was like, look, you'll never actually use this. But here here it is for, you like know. Like prologue. <laughs> for, for interest or whatnot. And maybe that's part of it is that, uh, is that I've definitely looked at other languages as far as just to kind of get a feel for how things are done differently in different places, right? I mean, you learn a lot by learning another language. Even if you don't go use it, you learn a lot of the what makes it tick and what decisions, design decisions it made and, and all that. And so uh, I, I do find that kind of work useful or whatnot. I'm just not sure that the whole 7 in in 7 was, is, is,
1: is you know, I don't know. It's so. like the Hitchhiker's Guide to Language. <laughs> there you go. Uh, check it out and see what you guys think and let us know. And become well-rounded programmers, damn it.
0: All right, so next up, I have been completely immersed in my new job, which means I'm getting to do a lot of things that I've always really wanted to do. And one of those things that I actually just got started with today um, is code reviews. And I have to say, um, I, I when you first start, every, everything that goes into Launchpad gets code reviewed by somebody. And we actually have a signed schedule of there's someone that has a day that they're basically their job that day is to run code reviews for anybody's stuff that they're landing. Uh, and so... It's interesting at first because I've not really had a lot of people review my code before. Um, You know, a lot of my last places, you kind of work in isolation, like this is your project and that's your project. And you may see someone's code. You may make some comments. You may tweak this or that. You may fix somebody else's bug or whatnot. But I've never actually had like, hey, Rick, before you can push this, you know, to, you know, staging, you need to have someone look at it and sign off that there's no crap in here. And that is turning out to be amazingly awesome. I have found that I have written some of my best code the last two months while somebody forces me to do things like um, like write a test. You know, there's been a few times where I've been like, eh, I'm not really not sure how to test this, so I'm just going to, you know, I, I, think, I think I'm good. And then the reviewer comes back and goes, no, 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 look, you need a test for this. And then I end up going back and thinking about it some more. And what's funny is that I've found that most of the time that test isn't as hard to write as I think it is, I just – didn't get over that hump to, to start writing something out. So it's uh it's, it's great for like, you know, motivating on that stuff for catching little, little nuances, little like, you know, maybe you should have named this different or maybe, uh, you know, did you think about what will happen with this elsewhere? You know, no, I totally didn't, you know, I had no clue. And I have to say, I, I know a lot of places don't do code reviews because they look at it as, as the fact that um, it's expensive as far as personnel time and infrastructure time and all that. But, Man, after doing them now for a couple months, I've got to say, like, that has got to be... And there are numbers to back this up, right? I think that uh, there's some studies that say that, like, you know, 80% of all bugs would be caught with code reviews or something like that. You know, I mean, it's, it's really insane.
1: Um, I think I, eventually you you pay that cost regardless. Even if you don't pay it right away, uh, you know, with having someone take a look at your code, you will eventually have, have that cost, you know, whether it's downtime or some other type of costs like that and you i i too have not had a whole lot of code reviews in in Mm -hmm. certain jobs and you get lazy and you start committing code that you know is not really up to snuff but you'll fix it later maybe yeah and i've been with places where they have very stringent code reviews and quite honestly it's it's a little nerve-wracking because you know you're having someone else look at your stuff and it's like you, you you push yourself even further than you normally would you don't let yourself be lazy you're like okay you know someone that i respect is going to be looking at this code so i need to make it you know, it's like it's like setting a dinner for someone you know <laughs> if if you're going to be eating by yourself you know out comes the tv dinners out comes the plastic forks and knives you might even put a napkin out you know, for yourself. If you're lucky, maybe it's just a you know piece of paper towel. But if you have someone coming over, you get out the nice plates, you get out the silverware, you make sure that there's no crap on the plates, uh, you clean up a little bit. You know, you try to yeah. make it a little nicer for folks.
0: It is. A lot of it, a big part of it is peer pressure. And one thing I did want to make sure to bring up is that I know that a lot of you guys are like, hey, my work does not do code reviews. Um, you know, boo-hoo, this is useless information for me. But I, I, the more and more I think about it, the more and more I think that um, and I'm doing this on my own personal projects is to, is to fake the code review, right? So one way to fake it is to basically, um, in your branch, don't commit until the next day right i'll do a bunch of work one night and rather than actually push the commit i'll wait i'll sleep on it i'll come back and then i'll look at it again and almost like self-review okay and so that i've actually caught a few things that way and it's actually been like there have been a few things that i've thought about later like oh i should do it differently or maybe i'm a little bit more motivated the next day and i make the push to clean up that thing that i was kind of like and eh, to do clean this up later the other thing that code reviews has really 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 taught me is um is reading diffs, um, because when you do a code review, basically what the reviewer gets is a diff of what my code changed, right? And that's what they're going off of. They're not they're not pulling the code down and running it and clicking the buttons to make sure it works. They're going purely off of what the diff says, the code says, right? So in a way, it's kind of uh, interesting because it's not so much results orientated, because your code may be doing a wrong thing and they may miss that, right? But that's what tests are for. You know, code review is not a replacement for testing the code that it does what it says. Absolutely not. <laughs> so I, I want to make sure that's clear, right? But in the process of going through and generating these, these diffs, I've, I have caught myself, because before I put this up to somebody, I want to make sure I don't have any stupid mistakes in here, right? I don't have any lines missing a semicolon. I don't have, you know, any code convention errors where I have too many lines or not enough lines or whatever. So I will find myself all day throughout the day, running, in the case of Launchpad work, BZR diff, or in the case of my Git work, my my own projects is Git diff. And I run run it several, several times a day when I'm working on a bit of code because I'm looking at like, you know, what did I actually change? And not so much what functionality did I add or what, you know, overall thing was I doing. It it really all boils down to what lines were removed and what lines were added and why. And um, doing that, Working through diffs before you actually commit and push stuff has been a great thing for my development experience, and everybody can do that today, right? Everyone can sit down and practice before they hit commit to view a diff and walk that diff and look at like, OK, what exactly did I change? And did I have to change it, right? How many of us have gone in to do with something and gone down path A, stopped, but no, this won't work, go back, go through path B, and miss where you renamed a variable or you added a variable that you don't need anymore, you know, kind of thing, because you didn't end up finishing that train of thought. And when you do a diff, it removes all the other lines that are the same. So it really draws out, like, these are the things that are different. Why is this line different? Does it still need to be different? And I have caught so much more stuff by going through diffs and I want to definitely tell anyone whether you're doing code reviews or not, start start doing that. I think it is
1: a single best thing you can do to catch errors in your code today. It's like brushing your teeth. Seriously, you you take a look at the diff and it's like what am I what am I going to be putting in here now? You know, that's that's that is a huge win. I'd also say being part of an open source project is kind of like having a code review in the sense that you you have people out there that could be your worst critics looking at your code. Uh, assuming that you're on a, a project that actually gets some traction. I mean, that's yeah. that's unfortunately <laughs> key, is that you have to have someone out there looking at your code, and you're not just committing to, to the wind. Yeah. So I, I'd say, yeah, if you can get on some some open source project or something like that that actually has some users... Uh, That would also probably work as a code review for you if you can't necessarily do it as a formal exercise, at least have someone out there look at it.
0: Yeah, so I just want to say, you know, very cool. Uh, It's really fun to be on the side of code reviews. Today was my first day. I'm actually reviewing other people's code. I'm supposed to be knowledgeable enough to be able to, you know, figure out what other people are doing wrong, which basically melted my brain today. Because it really brought up how little I actually know about all the Launchpad code. Because people are committing changes all across the code base. And, and I don't know it all that well. It is absolutely that big. And so uh, that was that's a lot of fun, though. You know, it was kind of cool to be like, you know, hey, what about this? And then to have them come back and go, yeah, good catch. Thanks for catching that. You know, I'm like, yeah. Woo. <laughs> go, Rick.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and too, you, you also learn the code base. If you're looking oh, yeah. at things that you don't normally look at, you know, and say, "What, what does this thing do?" You know, yes.
0: Yeah, so why was, are
1: you committing this? Is <laughs>
0: why it it took seven of my eight hours today of workday to actually get through the reviews was because I spent probably a lot more time than than most people trying to figure out like what is this even supposed to be doing and 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 how does it work normally, much less after the change you've made. So, it's a it's it's a good thing. So try like mad to get code reviews in your organization. There are some really good tools out there to help with it, like review board and Wrightveld, I think is how you say the one that's the Google code review tool. Um, and even like if you're on GitHub, you can basically do reviews uh, with inline comments and stuff between the uh, merge proposals and things. So uh, definitely check it out and uh, start the, and like I said, but if you can't, start going through your dips, start, start looking at what you actually did do today when you go to commit that change at the end of the day it's the
1: single best thing you can do just remember your worst critic will be looking at your code <laughs>
0: I think we're running a little long, so I'm going to skip this next one and save it for later. But because we've been gone so long, I, we've actually collected and we have the holidays. We've got a few new toys in the old collection that I figured, we, I figured we should we, we could chat about and share some experiences about. And um, the first one I'm going to bring up, I'm actually using right now to do this podcast. And that is I actually got one of these motorized standing desks. Um, it's from Geek Desk. And I cheated because... I got it without the top, which saved me some money on shipping and saving money on the desk. And then I just basically bought a solid core door and put some finish on it and mounted it up. And I am standing here doing the podcast. This is my – I go back and forth throughout the day, right? So this is my first, second, third time standing up today while working at the computer. I have to say it's very, very cool.
1: It's very cool to hear the whirring sound as you're moving it up and down. yeah well what's funny is that the uh
0: i've got a little two-year-old and he loves to to see it go up and down and he's like you know up please up please and i run it up and then he's like you know down down and he can just sit and watch it so it's great for when i am exhausted and i just want to see him just sit and start. <laughs> we don't we don't put the boy in front of a tv but i will gladly put him behind the put him in front of a motorized desk and watch it go up
1: and down and up and down hey just as educational right there you go exactly it's all up buttons and you know, height and all that stuff. So, and he'll remember this desk for the rest of his life. He'll be <laughs> like, "That was the coolest desk ever,
0: man." <laughs> but yeah, so I got it back in November, and I um, the reason I got the motorized uh, was because I just I can't see I can't stand up all day. I've I've got uh, some medical things and whatnot, but I did want to start to start doing it. So one thing I did do is I, I trained first. I went to the local Caribou Coffee where they have some of the tall pub tables. And I would go up there and force myself to use that for two hours on the laptop before I would let myself buy the desk. And then once I did that for a couple of weeks, I was like, all right, I got the desk and um, I basically do two hour shifts, right? So I sit down in the morning when I eat breakfast while I start work and going through email. Then I stand up when we have our stand up meetings until lunch. Then lunch, sit back down for a couple hours and try to finish the day standing up, right? So, um, it's, it's stand-up been... meetings are standing up, no pun intended. Exactly. I Dude, I was so <laughs> cool. I was like, I got to schedule this so I stand up for our stand-up meetings. That's just how awesome is that? Um, but one thing I did, I did notice is that um, when I leave my desk, I leave it up. And I find that it's much easier to do that drive-by, like, email, IM, IRC hit because I don't have to, like, pull the chair out and around and all that. I actually kind of, like, walk by and go, hey, let's just pop up the computer real quick and see what's going on. And so uh, it's been actually really good for like that hit-and-run computing that you do throughout the day after work's done.
1: That's very cool. So what about you? You got any new toys for the holidays you want to share? Well, my lovely wife uh, surprised me and got me a Barnes & Noble Nook to replace my aging Kobo. Or I shouldn't say my aging Kobo, the Kobo that... Uh, unfortunately, doesn't hook up to the wireless and has other assorted issues with PDF files. So, yay! I have a Barnes & Noble Nook tablet. Uh, so I finally have color PDF files. I have to say that um, while I am a huge fan of the e-ink display uh, for efficiency and readability, I've gotten very used to the LCD display because, number one, I can do instant zoom and not have to worry about refreshes and all that other kind of stuff. And the second thing is that I have the ability, with certain PDFs that I have, to see them in color. So if you're doing stuff like design PDFs, like the CSS uh, Friends of Ed uh, PDFs, those are all in color now, so that's really awesome. Um, and but did I say that it was wicked fast? It's got a dual-core processor inside of it, so it renders PDFs very well, actually in, in dare I say it, real-time. So you can actually. You're you're literally saying a lot. (laughs) But yeah, I love it. It's awesome. Um, The app selection, because it is a tablet, is uh, is present but pretty weak. Uh, Did you you root it? Did you root it? Did you root it? I didn't root it yet. Uh, That's on my list of things to do once the warranty expires. Uh, but, <laughs> so, you care about that warranty
0: thing? Come on.
1: Well, let's put it this way. Uh, if something happens to it, I don't... Well, first off, it's a Christmas gift, so I would be very upset if something happened to it. But, uh, yeah, I, I want to wait, you know, before I actually do anything that might damage my warranty. Like, so, and, and
0: damage your relationship with your wife, that would probably be best.
1: Yes, yes, because <laughs> she... she She worked very hard to get me this Nook. Yeah.
0: Well, that's cool. Very cool. Um, How is So you're not missing the ink at all, huh?
1: I thought I would. Um, I'm really not, uh, partially because I've got some extra space on the screen. So if you turn the Nook on its side, it actually emulates uh, 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper pretty easily. So certain books look really good. Um, in that form yeah. factor, and you can scroll up and down with it um, yeah. quickly. Um, and it's also tall enough and wide enough that it gets most of the PDF files that I have uh, right. I mean I can I can still read them. They're a little pixelated at the, right. um, They have a really small font, but for the most part it's uh, it's pretty good. Oh, cool.
0: So wow.
1: e-readers, awesome.
0: Yeah, no, e-readers are awesome. That's for sure. Um, I also upgraded my e-reader over the holidays. All oh, this so much as like, I got I got a sidekick, um, and that was because, like, you keep talking about PDFs, and I realized I've been getting a lot of books from O'Reilly that, while they have a MOBI format, um, don't really look great. And I and I do get some other things that only come in PDF format. There's uh, for a while I was getting JavaScript magazine and some other, mainly technical material. I find myself getting more and more technical material on my Kindle because it's just a lot of what I tend to be reading. Um, I tend to keep fun stuff on audio format. So I I listen to my fiction, and then I read my technical stuff. So um, Woot had a deal on the Kindle DX, and so I actually finally broke down, and even though I know that things can be replaced any day now just to spite me with some fancy new thing, uh, broke down and picked up a uh, a Woot uh, DX, and I have to say, it's the only thing I've been reading on ever since. I've uh, I've been using it for for some fun reading. I did get a couple of fiction books for like you know gifts over the holidays that I've read through and um, been reading PDFs. I, I transferred a lot of my O'Reilly material over onto there in PDF form and going through it and everything. And it's been nice. It is heavier. And the one thing that drives me bonkers with it is that I'm, uh, I tend to hold it in my left hand. And the smaller Kindle has the page buttons on both sides, but the DX only has the buttons on the right. I don't understand that at all, why they did that. I don't either, and it annoys me uh, just about every night kind of thing. So I'm, I'm still trying to learn how to live with it, but it's just, man, I don't know what it is. But for some reason, whenever I read, I want to hold the thing in my left hand. And uh, so that's probably the only like really like ugh, I you know I wish I could change that thing about it, um, but everything else like I'm I'm a, I just I love I live on e ink. I mean I've got three nice monitors that that shine bright flashlights at me as I work all day. When I get done with work, the last thing I want's to to grab another flashlight and point it in my eyes. So. <laughs> So I I am a huge e-ink fan, and so this has been a nice upgrade, and and I'm I'm getting some good reading done on it. So, oh come on, the LCD is awesome because you don't have to have a book light at in, in the middle of the night. Yeah, because I can't use my computers in the dark. I've got three different lamps I run when I work, behind, two of them are behind the monitor, so I get that like behind glow effect. You know, light. You know, not huge lights, but I I just I can't have I can't watch TV in the dark. It gives me a headache. You know, and people are like, yeah, it's the best thing ever. I can read this. Right thing, right in the middle of the night with no problems. Ugh. Uh, I don't, I don't get it. But hey, if you guys love it, more power to you. I just, you know, I hope that they don't kill off this DX and maybe one day they have some kind of upgrade that's not
1: five hundred dollars. Well, yeah, that's the thing is that the DX never came down in price. It's always been like that three hundred and fifty dollar mark or more. Yeah, that, yeah, it's
0: it, it's taken me a long time to break down, and uh, so and thank you, Boot, for helping that, but. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so the things I've been reading on my DX, I actually did read a couple of fiction books, but I've actually found myself going through a lot of different tech books right now. I've started going through some stuff on continuous integration, uh, about growing object oriented software through tests, but everything's been like I've read it a few chapters and I've not actually read anything beginning to end. So
1: I've got nothing to share for our book segment here right now. Well, I managed to finish one book. Uh, for work, which was Responsive Web Design, uh, which is a pretty darn good book, uh, especially because as we get different devices like tablets and, uh, you know, monitors that have resolutions more with more dots than God, uh, <laughs> you, you need to have something that, uh, you know, will, will scale. So, you know, the same page that works on, you know, the two... 200 pixel across monitor is not going to look very good on an iPod nano. Yeah. So, uh, the whole idea of the book is to code your pages in such a way that there, uh, with very little effort, not no effort, but with very little effort, you can take your awesome design and scale it up. They, they recommend scaling up rather than trying to scale down, uh, So you can scale up from, you know, the very small 160 pixel across displays up to the gargantuan displays and start introducing things like uh, images and other assorted stuff. So it's a pleasant experience for everyone, and you get to keep one page doing all the wonderful work instead of trying to code up, you know, this is the mobile site, and then this is the gargantuan site, and then this is the print site, and all this other kind of crap.
0: Yeah, I've been living this right now. Well, not quite living it yet, but with uh, Bookie, my bookmark app, I got really tired of trying to maintain uh, a jQuery mobile version of the site and the live version and keeping the code in sync and the libraries in sync and everything. I decided, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to do a responsive design layout. I'm going to make it front-end driven, which required basically making all the UI happen through API calls and JavaScript, which I am very close to finally releasing the updated JavaScript-driven UI side. Once that's done, the next step is to implement the responsive design patterns, basically using media queries and things in CSS in order to allow the page to reflow better down to mobile devices. Um, and this is a very common problem these days because I mean, even on Launchpad, we just we got we're getting ready to release a new feature for how bugs are shown and listed, and we had a, a lot of issues trying to make this work just on desktops. Because a lot of people view the bug pages on a 12-inch or 11-inch laptop these days. Uh, Things like the MacBook Airs and the 12-inch ThinkPads and things are very popular. And they've only got some, you know, uh, anywhere from, you know, around, I don't know, 1,200 pixels or so. But then you've also got these people that when they go through cranking through bugs are using a full, you know, 24, 27, or even 30-inch monitor at outrageous resolutions And the story on how they want to view their bugs was different than the guy on the 11-inch laptop, you know. So we were actually doing some responsive design, trying to help make both parties a little bit happier with how we displayed bug listings. It's kind of crazy.
1: Yeah. So the book is uh, Responsive Web Design by Ethan Marcotte. And the publisher is A Book Apart. And uh, it's reasonably priced and an awesome book
0: very pretty. They do a really good job with the topography and the, the, the putting together the book. It's like a, it's a pretty book to read.
1: Yeah. One other thing that I've been reading is a book called Clean Code, a handbook of agile software craftsmanship by Robert C. Martin. I've only gotten a few chapters into it as well. And if you like reading Java Code, you'll love this book. <laughs> because this book, as, as I like to refer to it, is a Java brick. Uh, there's a lot of interesting design in there. It doesn't necessarily go through uh, just telling you all those things that you should do in order to do clean code. You know, like thou shalt indent, thou shalt uh, not use dumbass variable names. <laughs> uh, you know, be be clear, be consistent, all that kind of stuff. I mean, every, everyone pretty much knows this. But what it does do very nicely is it does take actual code examples and go through the process. The problem is that I've seen enough bad Java code that even the, the whiff of Java code makes me want to throw up in my mouth a little bit. So, <laughs> yeah, I know I... it's a it's a personal thing. I understand. I'll I'll completely own it. No, I mean, but so I mean, for the record, you know, the book's like four
0: point three stars on Amazon, very highly rated, and I, I've read I've heard a lot of good things about it. I've not read this book myself. But I have looked at it. I had it on my wish list for a couple of years before I decided that I've read enough books in this fashion, um, like Code Complete and, and uh, Pragmatic Programmer or some other ones like it. Um, I, I poked at your copy at the coffeehouse last night, and I can agree. There is there is a lot of Java-y stuff in there. Uh, the, the one thing I will say is that any of you guys out there that have, been, that have gone through a lot of design pattern books or um, – Uh, refactor books and all that kind of stuff. Most of those things are really Java, I mean, these days. uh, Or or the last, you know, five
1: years, I guess. So I I wasn't surprised. (laughs) Java is the Vulgate language for all of this coding stuff. I understand this. But when I want to read stuff, you know, about... Yeah. I I don't read the Bible in in Latin anymore, and... (laughs) (laughs) So, and another book that I've been re- plowing through, I finally got an ebook copy of this, and that's actually helped out a lot. Is uh, Coders at Work? I've gotten about six chapters into that sucker. Uh, it's a dense little tome. I mean, it's not your typical programmer interview of you know, what's your favorite editor? What's what did you have for breakfast? What do you listen to? It's actual difficult questions. I mean, these are some questions that definitely have a lot of thought put into them. So they have got folks like uh, Jamie Zawinski uh, Brendan Ike, Peter Norvig uh, uh, there's a chapter in there by Donald Newth as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. Some really big name, big heavy hitters um, in, in the programming scene. So I would most assuredly say check that one out.
0: Yeah, I read that one a couple years ago I think and we might have actually had it as a review on, I think
1: we did. Uh, I think that's when I
0: went through it. And I, I, if I recall correctly, my I think um, I really liked it. I thought, like like you say, the author did a, so, a good work of doing some background research on the people he interviewed. So we had some intelligent questions specific to each person. Um, but I will say that, like you, you said, you've gone through six of them. About three quarters of the way through the book, there are enough common questions that get asked often enough that I started to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, at the last, the last bit of the book, I kind of more skimmed through than I actually read with detail, but I did, yeah. I did like it. And I, I think there w- there was a lot of good info in there and geez, some of the things that like the people that are in there, the stuff they've accomplished at, you know, at their ages and things, just, you know, some of that stuff makes you want to just go curl up in a ball and, and, and call, why uncle. can't I
1: be doing this? <laughs> I don't know.
0: Like I've completely wasted my time that I have not done anything as sweet and cool as that stuff. So. But use that for motivation. Be like, "Eh, you know what? I got a long way to go. Let's get to work. Let's write some code. So with that, I think we should probably draw this to a close because we want to cut this off short enough that we have motivation to do it again in the near future, sometime in the year 2012. Hopefully in the next few months. Yeah. Let's try to shoot for that every other week kind of thing. That worked well for a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, so, so I will... Call us an evening. I'll talk to you guys later on. I'm Rick Harding for localcast.net. And I'm Craig Maloney.
1: We'll see you next time.